What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. We're finally coming back at you guys with a regular Cold Seat Podcast episode today. A little bit of a break, obviously, winter break. We were both uh, kind of back at home on vacation. Um, schedule's a little bit different, but now that we're both back, kind of almost school started, uh, getting back into the swing of things with a kind of a routine and getting back into getting the pod going, other than just football, get a uh, an update on all the kind of the offseason stuff for baseball get an NHL update, a golf update, um, give some, turn up the heat and ice and ice baths. I know we did it last week on the uh, Thursday turf talk, but we'll get a true turn up the heat and a true ice bath this week. Um, so I'll let Brett kick us off with our, uh, our first turn up the heat back on the, about a month ish off of the cult of the regular cold state episodes, but glad to be back and we'll get a full, full run of the gambit today. But Brett kick us off with uh, cranking up the heat in here today. Yeah, good to be back. Um, obviously, you know, if y'all have been tuning in, we've still had our weekly Thursday turf talks, you know, previewing and recapping all the biggest football games um, in both college and NFL. But good to be back covering other sports here. Um, yeah, my hot take is, it kind of stems from, you know, this past week or weekend, um, you know, Saturday night, uh, the Big 12 conference play for basketball kicked off, which is the conference Texas Tech is in and they had a big win in austin on the road over number 20 ut i believe it was 78 67 um one of their biggest wins over ut in a while um on a team that i really don't think many people thought would be like one of the better teams when you think about it um a really experienced ut team that returned a ton of guys um brought in a couple big name guys and a tech team that's basically all new new staff new players almost across the board so uh, my bold, my hot take is that Texas Tech basketball is going to finish top five in the Big 12 standings out of 14 teams. Um, this is the one year of the Jumbo Conference before UT and OU depart um, for basketball. So top five would be a pretty lofty goal for them. I think top eight would – or really top seven, top half, I think, um, would be pretty respectable and, you know, a good goal to shoot for, I think, but top five would be huge for them and was a loaded conference. I mean, we'll get to it um, when we cover college basketball here towards the end of the episode as conference play across the board kicked off. But there's some really, really good teams in the conference. You look at Houston, Kansas, UT's still a good team. Uh, Baylor's still solid. BYU's played really well. And OU's played well. I mean, there's just a ton of teams in the Big 12 that have showed out so far this year. And you assume it's going to continue. Just teams are going to start beating up on each other in conference play. And, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to, you know, really separate yourself from the pack. So I'm just glad Tech got that first conference win, and I'm looking forward to more from them this year. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the Big 12, last year before the addition of, of the Pac-12 schools, um, or I guess the, the Pac-12 next year, and then with the kind of the AAC schools, couple of the independents coming in this year, like it's – they – there was already no no nights off in the Big 12 on the schedule, and it got even worse adding adding a Houston team that's that's a blue blood, right? So um, even more so now, there's no no days off in the Big 12. But I think, like you said, the fact that Tech was able to go out and, and really dominate that game, um, I feel like from start to finish, they were they were kind of led most of the way there. Um, went on a big nine nine to one run, I believe, um, just in the kind of the first part of the of the second half. Um, Really commanded the game from then on. Kind of in the in the back 10 minutes of the second half, they really commanded the game. Um, didn't really relinquish the lead at that point either. So for them to go out and win a pretty dominant performance in Austin, um, 
I mean, a Texas team that clearly probably isn't a top 25 team this year, uh, but again, still talented, still a, it's a, still a road environment. Um, it's really impressive considering kind of the off-the-court stuff uh, surrounding the team that obviously we're not going to talk about quite yet on, on the podcast, kind of depending on the result. We might, we might touch on it later on, uh, maybe after the season or kind of later in the season. But right now, probably leave it to uh, kind of lawyers to figure out. But um, – Again, the detractions going around, going around, going around, going on around the program for them to go on the road, get a win like that's really, really big. So I think you're right. And I think they're, they're a team that's going to play tough at home and they're going to play tough on the road. Obviously, uh, Lubbock's a really tough place to come win. One of the better home environments in the country. We'll see if that kind of sticks this year. I know there's been a lot of um, kind of a lot of questions about how the tech home crowds are going to be this year with the first year under Grant McCaslin. I think that road win did a really big, really big things for them. I got a game tomorrow, so we'll kind of see. I'll, I'll be there at the game tomorrow, so we'll kind of see how how it looks. But again, um, next week's really the really the test. Students get back kind of today, tomorrow, uh, yesterday, this past weekend. So, um, but yeah, man, I think Tech's gonna be really good. I think I think you're right. Uh, top five in the Big 12 standings was obviously not something that we thought would happen before the season, but given the way they've looked and how scrappy they've been and how how improved they've been from from game one to now, I think um, could certainly be in the cards for them. I turn up the heat today. I'm gonna go draft related. Um, obviously, I've gotten I've gotten a lot of work done on the draft already. I've watched a bunch of the kind of the top consensus top 10 to 15 guys um, kind of put together a big board. Um, I've done a lot of work on the receivers, a lot of work on on obviously Brock Bowers with the Chargers locking up the fifth pick. So I've uh, done a bunch of work on the guys kind of in that top 10 range, top 15 range. Um, barring some sort of change of heart. Or a guy who's you know kind of we the the entire draft media like gets on too late, um, like I'm talking in the next couple months. I don't think it's gonna happen. So barring kind of a crazy rise from a guy jumping into the top five prospects, top six prospects for me, Roma Dunze, despite being wide receiver three in this class, is a clear top six player. I think he's better than both the tackles. I he's a stud. Um, I won't give my comp for him just yet because I'm kind of workshopping it. I told Brett my comp. It's a um, it's a guy who's been in the NFL a long time, probably a Hall of Famer. Obviously, I'm not saying they're the same player or to expect that kind of production, but the way he plays the game reminds me a lot of this guy in college. Um, so again, I, w- I won't spoil it. I know we'll get to those later on, and maybe I'll drop that on the uh, on one of our episodes later this in the, in the kind of the coming weeks. We get to the draft under receivers going to be pretty far down the road, given how deep the class is. But yeah, I mean, Roma Dunze is really good. Uh, for those who don't know, Roma Dunze is wide receiver one for the Washington Huskies. Will be playing tonight on the biggest stage. Um, I think his quarterback's getting a little bit of recency bias bump. I don't think Rome is. Um, Rome's the real deal. There will be folks that have Rome's wide receiver too, and I and I'll understand that. Um, big physical receiver. Uh, guy's a stud though. And frankly, if the Chargers took him at five with Malik Neighbors and Martin Harrison Jr. off the board. Uh, I would be super happy with Rome. I think he's an op- an awesome player. Um, again, he's uh, sixth overall player for me right now. He could even get to five, depending on how I feel about the quarterbacks. When I actually sit down and watch, I'll do a full tape study on him. Um, I won't go crazy spoiler, but like I think it's pretty obvious. Marvin Harrison's in my top five. Caleb Williams, um, Malik Neighbors, obviously he's wide receiver two, so he's got to be ahead of, of Rome at six. So we'll see what happens. I can see Rome leapfrogging. Up to five, potentially. I've got to get more All-22 tape on him. Got to watch All-22 on the quarterbacks fully. So, But, yeah, dude, Rome, Rome's really, really good. Um, 
final. I think he's getting slept on a little bit right now. Obviously, people are talking about him a lot today in the past week. But again, um, guy's a stud. Um, in a receiver class with guy three players who are going to be top six players for me. Um, in a in a phenomenal class, by the way. This is a really good draft class. Um, guys who would have been wide receiver ones the last few years. Um, yeah, I mean it's exciting. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Rumble Dunes. I think I'm higher on him than than a lot of people are. Um, but I, I think it's justified. And um, yeah, that's my hot take today. Bonafide top six player in the class, and uh, despite being wide receiver three, he's an absolute monster. Yeah, I mean I love Rome as well. I think when you go throughout the college football season, I think receiver rankings have kind of changed, you know, after Marv. And I think at the end of the day, everyone's gonna have their own opinion, their own rankings. That's part of what makes the draft, you know, coverage and stuff like that so much fun is that everyone has, you know, different rankings, big boards, positional rankings, which we'll get to um in a week or so. Our first episode. Um yeah, it just makes it a lot of it makes it really interesting when everyone can kind of combine their opinions and form a kind of estimate of where this guy could go, what his, what his role could look like in the league, stuff like that. So like you said, really good receiver class, really good tackles, um, and good quarterbacks as well. I mean, the three really valuable positions just on offense right there that are um, loaded in this draft, and I think it's going to be a great draft across the board. I mean, it's a good year to have you know a bad pick, or I guess a good pick for y'all. Um, I mean, it's not terrible just for depth-wise. I have not looked at much for the draft just because I've just kind of been focused on the Ravens. I haven't done a ton before the Ravens are done. Um, but I'll definitely be getting into it this week with our first position rankings, like I said. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. I haven't looked at much outside of, you know, trying to, like, search and find stuff on Twitter of guys that do like cut-ups and stuff like that in threads. So other than that, haven't looked at a whole lot, but I'm, I'm going to get into it this week, um, you know, once I get back to school tomorrow. So really looking forward to it. Favorite time of the year um, for both of us. I know we still have free agency and stuff, which will change some things in terms of team fits. But overall, really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, like you said, the wide receiver class is going to be special. Um, and it should be fun to, you know, kind of, uncover and talk about and break it down so looking forward to that um, i will i will say i think this is the best receiver class maybe ever um there's gonna there probably won't be a receiver in the top those three and then like there may not be one else in the top 20 but it's also super deep there's gonna be guys littered right. throughout 20 to 40 like probably 10 guys potentially so uh, I, I think this could be one of the, like you said a loaded class maybe the best ever I know 2022 and 2021 get talked about a lot with a bunch of guys going in the first round there. I think we're going to break a record for first-round receivers this year. I really do. Um, there's some really niche skill sets and some really special, specialized skill sets kind of in the back half. Kind of after uh, Marv, Malik, and, and, and Rome, um, there's some specialized skill sets, but it's it's special, dude. It's really, really impressive. So, um, yeah, like you said, super excited for it. But I did want to jump in real quick because it's best, one of the best ever, I think. Yeah, no doubt. I think when we look back on it, um, you know, in a couple of years, once these guys are able to kind of prove themselves in the league, I think we'll we'll say that even then. Um, looking forward to, you know, seeing how they pan out and stuff. Moving on to MLB uh, for now. I haven't, like, like you said, um, I haven't had an episode in about four weeks, so a good bit of stuff to uncover. I'll let you get to it as most of it uh, pertains to your team. But we did have some signings, some trades, uh, a good bit of movement. 
it's still not as much as we should have had to this point, but a good bit um, as of late. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll touch on I'll touch on the big the big one first that I'll that I'll hit. Um, obviously, it's it's been it's no surprise, no secret anymore. It's been you know kind of a kind of a while since we recorded uh, an episode like this. But uh, Japanese right-handed pitcher Yoshinobu Yamamoto signed a 12-year, 325 million dollar deal with the Dodgers, including a 50 million dollar posting fee, which brings the grand spending total to 375 million dollars. Um, 325 million over 12 years is the largest. Uh, Pitching contract in, in total value for a pitcher does not surpass the nine year through 24 that uh, Garrett Cole got. Uh, despite reports that the Yankees Yankees had an offer at 10 years for 300 million dollars, uh, which would have again not been as much as the the Garrett Cole uh, you know annual average value um, would have been higher annual average value than what he got from the Dodgers. Uh, but a, people think that oh, the, I guess the word was that the the, the Yankees didn't want to pay a pitcher. More than Garrett Cole. I don't buy it. I don't think they wanted to go over $300 million, whatever. Uh, the Mets had an identical deal on the table uh, to Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Ultimately, just chose the Dodgers. It sounded like after the fact, he was always going to want to be a Dodger, despite you know whatever happened with Shohei. It sounded like he wanted to be a Dodger. Grew up a fan. Always wanted to be with be in L.A. That's uh, kind of what it sounded like from his post or from not his post game, um, his, his introductory press conference. So, um Really impressive stuff, though. Like, I mean, it's three teams were willing to pay this guy over $300 million. He hadn't thrown a pitch in, in Major League Baseball. Um, a little bit of background, he's 25 years old. He's came, coming from the NBP, which is the Nippon Baseball um, or Professional Baseball um, over in Japan. I said NPB. Is it N? I'm is trying it to remember now. NBO? Maybe. Yes, NBO. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're right. NBO. No, that's KBO. Um, I'm gonna it forget. Is NPB. Yeah, NPB. Um, regardless, uh, comes over comes over from the 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 Japan's equivalent of the MLB. Um, three-time MVP winner. Uh, only guy to win three MVPs in Japan is Ichiro Suzuki. So that's pretty good company to be in. Um, he's also 20, He's 25 years old. Um, Guys had he's won the three he's won three straight pitching triple crowns there, um, and he's got like a, a I think he had an ERA last year of like one two eight. Obviously he's not gonna have to come in here and throw a sub two ERA in the states, but um, guys really impressive. I think um, obviously there's a little bit risk involved in the fact he hadn't thrown a pitch in, in Major League Baseball yet, but then again um, there's a reason three teams were willing to do this. Two of them being arguably two of the most successful teams in in the history of the sport. So. Um, really impressive stuff here. There's no deferral at the Shohei deal. It's a straight up $325 million deal for 12 years. However, there is there are opt-outs after years six and eight, which uh, time up is 30 years old and 32 years old. Um, injury clause in there, if he gets Tommy John or any sort of significant uh, elbow injury to his pitching arm, uh, pushes those years back to seven and nine. Um, so still going to get an opt-out at, at 31 to hit the market. Um, heavily backloaded deal, so... Um, maybe incentivizes him to stay. Although, I mean, he's getting thirty million dollars a year in six years, seven years might be an absolute bargain. So he's probably gonna hit the market. So I'd expect him to hit the market similarly to how you Darvish did. Um, obviously, the the numbers weren't the same, um, just given the kind of the times and when he signed. But signed a really big deal to come over here uh, from from Japan for the NPB. Signs with the Rangers, opts out of a huge contract, signs another one, opts out again, signs another one. So um, capitalizing on on signing the big number deals. Um, could be the kind of the 
the structure of the, the path here for Yamamoto, but um, certainly kind of the biggest the biggest domino that fell. And what I really thought was going to be like an actual domino effect, I thought when he signed, like everything else is going to happen after that, and, and it hasn't yet, obviously. So um, this is kind of the biggest the biggest deal. I guess the other one that I'll touch on really really quickly, and I'll let you get to kind of the other stuff here. Um, after the Dodgers traded for Tiger last night, I know we touched on last week. Um, the deal was contingent upon an extension. Hadn't gotten done by the time we recorded and posted, but um, and it, like literally in in true cold seat fashion, like 30 minutes to an hour after we had been recording, he agrees to like a five-year, 135 million dollar extension. So of course it's right after the pod finishes. Um, mm. I don't know if we'll ever post it, but there's a clip of me being incredibly upset about news breaking. Like we're still recording, like recording audio, and um, it actually didn't happen. It was like Darren Waller, like trade reports back in a couple years ago and i'm like i lose my mind because it happened like three weeks in a row with, with news breaking right after we finished recording but um no so glass now does get to the deal um five years 135 um we'll talk about his health stuff at another point in, the, in, in another episode obviously maybe we'll talk about that as in like an mlb uh, preview later on uh, in the spring but um yeah a lot of money for a guy who hadn't, hadn't stayed healthy a bunch of his career but Sounds like he thinks he's cleared up, but again, that's kind of a conversation from their time. So, um, two big, two big spends there for the Dodgers, and that brings their grand total to uh, over 1.1 billion dollars this offseason in committed money. So, um, yeah, a lot of money spent. They they've been planning for it. So, I will say that the Yamamoto deal is something they've been sitting on for a long time. Uh, Max Muncie did say on a podcast this week that like, yeah, like they were surprised about signing both these guys to this much money but he's like the players don't shock me at all like they've been talking about Yamamoto within our building for years now like this this they've known about him for a long time they've wanted him for a long time so um doesn't come as a surprise that he signed with the Dodgers but again maybe the money involved is kind of the surprising thing here yeah like you said it's no surprise that he is there especially with Shohei there now especially with it being on the west coast kind of everything just adds up um, for him to kind of feel at home there and it just all makes sense. Um, yeah, the glass now trade, I know we touched on it. That was, I thought that was a good trade as well. You know, a guy that is, is a solid starter can be a solid two or three, um, in the rotation and it's a good contract for him. Uh, five years I think is a good length. I don't know if he was like wanting a certain number of years, but I feel like five years would be good for him. You try to re-up maybe. He'll be a little bit a little bit older, but should be able to, you know, make that contract worth it. A um, couple other moves that happened, you know, in the past couple weeks, but um, some more recent than others. Diamondbacks, they re-signed Loris Gurriel Jr. and have agreed to a 14 mil per year deal over three years. There's a fourth-year club option, so overall pretty good signing, or I guess re-signing by the Diamondbacks on a guy who – Played really well in the postseason for him, um, you know, brings that experience to what was a really young roster, um, a really, you know, fairly cheap roster as well as they were towards the bottom in the payroll. But good addition or addition, good uh, re-signing for them, taking them off the market, you know, kind of shoring up their position players, stuff like that. Um, and then Padres, they signed left-handed reliever Ikui Mats- Matusi. Uh, to a five-year, $28 million deal. So a little bit shorter deal, um, or smaller deal. Opt-outs after years three and four. So, um, you know, see, see where you are after three years. I'm not sure how the money's spread out, but see, see where you are and uh, go from there. You know, taking a chance on a guy is always 
bold at any level in the um in the MLB. So at the end of the day, um, you know, not not a ton can go wrong when you sign a guy to five mil a year. You just, you know, like I said, after three years, you see where you go, and it's pretty, you know, low risk signing that I think the Padres, who are semi rebuilding, not I wouldn't say like rebuilding, but like trying to reset a little bit, um, you know, is a move that they can make, and I think it was a good good match for them to you know, make a smaller move like that and take a chance on a guy. Yeah, I mean, he's comes over from the NPB, um, which, it, by the way, Nippon Professional Baseball is what it stands for, NPB. That's what I thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, comes over from from Japan. Um, really good numbers in Japan, really good, really good closer. I believe there's escalators in that deal if he becomes the closer. I think he's obviously being signed as a reliever for right now, but um, thought it was a good deal for the Padres, obviously dealing with their short-term payroll costs. I got the loan, had to deal Soto, all that stuff. Um, so this is a good, cheap, short-term deal for their next kind of short-term. It's offensive for three and four. So um, obviously a solid deal for them. They get they get a guy in that bullpen to kind of bolster it and um, continue to add cheap cheap guys who have uh, relatively high floors for them. I think this guy who can just going to come in and probably just at first be, be a, kind of a bridge option, maybe kind of becomes a high leverage player for them. Who knows? Um Last one here for the Dodgers, the last move that they've made. Um, outfielder Teoscar Hernandez agreed to a one-year, $23.5 million deal with the Dodgers. Um, believe he was an all-star either in 2022 or 2023. Um, do you remember if it was this year or last year? I'm trying to remember off the I top of my head. I think it was um, 22. Let's see. Yeah, all-star in 2021. Um, on be second team, two-time silver slugger. A uh, little bit of a down year last year with the with the Blue Jays, but guy who crushes lefties, um, serviceable against righties, plays really good defense, which is exactly what the Dodgers what the Dodgers were looking for. Um, another big one here is that they deferred eight and a half million of it across 2030 to 2039 at 850 thousand dollars a year, so coming in at just about 15 million uh, on their on their payroll this year, which I think keeps them under the luxury tax for now. I have to actually pull up Spot Track and look or um, to get a confirmation on that, but I believe. They're at or just under um, the luxury tax threshold this year. Um, but again, I don't really think they care about that. Um, oh, no, this is, this is kind of the move they were wanting to make. The guy that they were, this is the kind of player they were looking to get. So um, nonetheless, solid deal for them. It's a good deal for Teoscar. I'm surprised he signed a one-year deal. Seems like it's a prove-it deal. Maybe he can come in, um, be productive with the guys on base ahead of them. Obviously, he's probably going to be batting sixth or seventh for the Dodgers. So, uh, you assume he gets a lot of production of guys on base ahead of him, so maybe he can get some, have some production at the plate. Um, nonetheless, really good defender. Again, looking to get right with a with a with a contender this year and uh, maybe cash in on a big deal next year. Yeah, I mean, I got another guy with experience. I think, like you said, um, kind of fits all the needs that the Dodgers were looking for um, in the outfield, and I think it'll be a you know a valuable piece, versatile guy that can do a bunch of different things for you um, over the course of that one year deal. And maybe, maybe they uh, sign him to an extension. We'll see. But um, in addition to those signings, we have had a few trades. The San Francisco giants, they traded for Robbie Ray, the left-handed pitcher from the Mariners in exchange for outfielder, Mitch Hanniger and right-handed pitcher, Anthony Desclafani. So 
two for one deal. I think Robbie Ray, obviously not what he was. Um, you know, when I think of Robbie Ray, I always think back to the time when he was on the Blue Jays and the Orioles manager, Brandon Hyde was in a shouting match from the dugout with Robbie Ray, who was currently the pitcher on the mound about trying to speed up. Um, it was one of the, you know, more funny clips, especially, um, involving the Orioles that we've had over the past few years. And Robbie Ray kind of had some beef with him ever since that clip, a guy that just seems to be, you know, all about himself, um, in terms of how he goes about his business. But besides the fact, um, he is now a San Francisco giant. Um, Hanniger and Desclafani going the other way to the Mariners. I think I honestly think it was a win-win deal. At the end of the day, it's not like a you know a blockbuster trade, but it's a trade that teams try to shore up their positions heading into spring training. They try to fill holes and stuff like that. And I think both teams did that here with the pitcher swap and then Hanniger, um, you know, outfield DH going to Seattle as well. Obviously, a deal had to get done for the Giants. They need to get better up front in the, in the, in the rotation. Um, obviously Logan Webb, and that's kind of it for them right now. Um, they missed on Otani. They missed on Yamamoto. So um, this is the way that they pivoted on, on getting an arm. It sounds like they're the leader to get, um, I believe you said his name is Shishota Imanga. I think Imanga, I think you say his last name um, for a full so. first name guy coming over from the, the NPB as well. Um, 30 years old, 29, 30 years old, so a little bit older than Sho and then uh, Shohei, or about Shohei's age, a little older than Yamamoto, still a quality arm. Um, I think they're the front runner to get him now. Um, this is a start for them getting Robbie Ray, obviously a guy not didn't have quite the year last year. He had two years prior. Um, strange move from the Mariners. Desclafani really isn't a replacement for Robbie Ray. He's certainly a step down. Um, hence why they gave up. They they also got Mitch Hanniger in return. So. Uh, I think Hanniger steps in, uh, probably a platoon or, or a back end, back end of the back end of the of the lineup, kind of bat for them. Maybe an everyday starter, who knows? Desclafani is probably a, a four or a five, maybe a three for them. The guy is going to be an innings eater for him for sure. Um, makes me wonder if the Mariners are in on Snell potentially. I, I feel like his market—I don't want to say it's dried up, but feels like the teams who were in on who we thought might be in on Snell may not be anymore. Dodgers signed too big, signed. Signed two big name pitchers plus Shohei, who's going to be pitched next year. Um, you know the Braves, who are about to talk about acquires, they acquired Chris Sale in a trade. So um, interesting to kind of see where where Snell might go. Um, Orioles have been quiet. Maybe that's where he ends up going. We'll see. Um, you know, this is a good deal. I think all the way around for both teams involved here. Mariners continue to puzzle me, but whatever. Um, last one here. Like I just mentioned, Braves acquired left-handed pitcher Chris Sale in exchange for Vaughn Grissom, infielder, a highly touted prospect for them, um, getting him from uh, – sending him to Boston for Sale. Um, and they signed Sale to a two-year $38 million extension. I I will give the Braves credit. They, similar to similarly to the Dodgers, have done – they have a quality track record of getting veteran pitchers and getting the most out of them. Um that said, I don't know if Chris Sale fits that mold. He seems like a, he's a guy who can't get healthy. He's a guy who clearly has had some um, kind of some head case, kind of in his own head issues. I just I don't I don't know if Chris Sale is fixable, if you will. I think he's some of his issues. I think he's just he's a broken player. I think he's a guy who may may not be 
um, salvageable, if you will. Obviously, if they get if they get Cy Young, Chris Sale, this is a steal. If they get Christy Sale, who pitches, you know, not even 80 innings for him, that's a problem. Or 100 innings, that's a problem, right? Like they've got to get innings from him first and foremost. They also got to get some production from him. Um, don't know if the Braves are done on the pitching market yet. I think there's a couple of vets they could still go sign, but certainly an interesting one here. And then they give him the extension for you know basically 20 million a year. Um, it's a it's a solid bargain, I, I suppose. If you can get innings from him, that's kind of what an innings eater is going to go for. But a higher a high a high ceiling innings eater is what this is, right? So um, yeah, we'll see if that if see if it pans out. But if I was a Braves fan, I'd be a little upset after kind of striking out on Nola and then not really being in on everybody else right now. I, Kind of puzzling to not go after Snell for that kind of money, right? Just so, um, but interesting from the Braves. Obviously, they they know what they're doing. Again, they they generally have a good track record of this kind of stuff. So we'll see how it pans out. But um, certainly not a great look, kind of off the bat to me, at least. All right. No, I think given their expectations and where they've been as of late, in terms of you know compared to the league, I think this move's a little underwhelming. Um, this is a kind of move that you know a smaller market a team that's less willing to spend would make and you know getting sale and then signing him to a 19 a year a little puzzling like you said but at the end of the day um you know there's a chance it works out for him and the 19 like you said looks like a steal so um i guess we'll wait to see how that pans out overall and kind of how we can grade that but for the most part in terms of bigger moves that's all we have for the mlb um spring training still about seven six weeks away i think first like pitchers and catchers report earlier but in terms of the main guys they won't report for a little bit longer moving on to golf though um i know haven't really touched on it uh but honestly in golf there hasn't been much before this past weekend i know we said before the 20 or the pga tour went back to a calendar year schedule uh this season so the 2024 pga tour season kicked off um as the golfers were in hawaii to start the year the century tournament uh, was played at the kapalua resort plantation course in kapalua hawaii carries a large purse of 20 mil one of the more elevated events or one of the elevated events with more of a um more value more to play for in terms of fedex cup points and money of course john rom did win it last year who obviously didn't have a chance to repeat this year as he is now part of the live tour um you know the newest addition for them the newest defect of the pga tour this time around though at the century chris kirk won he won it at 29 under one of the easiest events on schedule to kick off the year um so you see guys obviously 29 enters a huge that's just a crazy score across four rounds he shot two eight under 65s on his weekend. And then at the end of the day, I mean, like I said, a 29, it, it wasn't just him that was scoring really low, obviously. The course proved to be really easy for the guys. I mean, 56 out of 59 finished at least 10 under, and 28 out of the 59 finished at least 20 under. The low round for the tourney was Justin Rose's 12 under 61 on the final day. On Sunday, as the course was a par 73, um, pretty rare these days to see a par 73, but nonetheless, a little bit of a longer course kind of plays in the favor of the you know pro golfers in comparison to amateurs that can't really take advantage of you know the extra par 
you might have it, of course. So, you know, if it was like a par 75, you're going to see scores, you know, minus 40 or better just because of how they can take advantage with, you know, shot shaping and just the overall, you know, how do I say this? The distance that they have off the tee on the fairway, you know, the precision that they bring week in and week out, um, you know, a hard course is already easy for them. So making it, uh, adding a part of the course just makes it a little easier for them. So maybe, uh, maybe toughen the course up a little bit, maybe switch courses. I know this week, uh, they are staying in Hawaii for the second week of the season. They're headed to Honolulu though. So, um, a new course still in Hawaii playing the Sony open at YLA country club. And it's a little bit of a harder course. I believe it's a par 71. So you're not going to see 29, 29 under this week, but, uh, you might get 15, 16 under. Um, this this has a purse of only 8.3 mil, so one of the smaller events. A lot of the events are around 8 to 9. Um, Siwoo Kim won it last year. I think that was his first or second PGA Tour win, the Korean. Um, we'll see if he can repeat this year. I know he played fairly well last year. I uh, was in contention a few times, but looking for another big performance this year and just, you know, the, you know, the best players getting back on track, um, you know, as the PGA Tour talent level slowly um worsens i guess you can say with guys going to live uh you know big name guys but in terms of level of talent you still have max homa jordan spieth justin thomas rory mcelroy um sahith thagala who was in contention this past week um you know a lot of a lot of talented guys wills alatoris is back so um Colin Morikawa the list goes on and on of guys that can contend week in and week out and I think it'll still make for a really exciting PGA Tour season so I'm looking forward to it I'm glad the season's back up and running one of the shortest off seasons across professional sports but nonetheless um you know guys are still golfing and stuff just like they would be during the year so glad it's back looking forward to the big events coming up here uh shortly and then the four majors in April May June and July so stay tuned for that um you know PGA Tour events are normally on ESPN plus golf channel um stuff like that so they're normally readily uh viewable and fun to watch um if you're in that kind of thing i know it's more of a niche thing in comparison to even nhl or mlb um i know you know a lot of people don't like it but if you never really thought about it or you just automatically dismiss the thought of it maybe give it a shot uh for you know at least a couple hours see how it goes and you might you might get into it might uh might enjoy it, but it's a lot of fun. I think at the end of the day, you know, golf is extremely individual. There's, you don't rely on anybody. Um, on live, you do because you're a part of a team, but on PGA, it's really just the biggest individual sport there is. And I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, with each shot, there's so much money on the line, which you don't get anywhere else. It's not like in football, if this guy gets a touchdown this drive, he gets this many more, you know, this however much more million so um in terms of how much you can play for i think golf exceeds every other sport and i think that's in part of what makes it so fun is those bigger events guys can play for so much just with you know a two-shot difference can be the difference in over a million dollars so it's huge you know for these guys to go out and play well especially early on in the season and get and get as many points as possible before they head into those majors and the harder events uh but yeah like i said closing out the golf really excited for this year as a whole and uh looking forward to another competitive schedule you know i think you hit the nail on the head um 
golf coming back is always exciting. It's always something to watch on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, especially with, you know, no football going to be on um, kind of the kind of a low on sports, if you will, for the next couple of months. Um, certainly, especially while uh, before the combine for the NFL and then kind of waiting up to the draft. So big of a dead period in golf, I think, fills it really nicely. So um, it's that, the same goes with the other sport they're about to talk about here. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, the majors are awesome. So I'm um, still going to be following uh, a little bit closer this year than the last couple for sure. And then uh, same goes for this sport we're getting to talk about here with uh, NHL. Getting a quick standings update this cycle, um, this week. Obviously, that's what's up next for us. So I'll kick it off with the Eastern Conference here. Um, the Atlantic Division with the top three in each each four division here. Each of the four divisions here with the top three teams. Starting the Eastern Conference, Atlantic Division. Uh, Bruins are in the lead here at 54 points, coming in at 24, 8, and 6. Panthers at 52 points with 25, 12, and 2. And then the Maple Leafs at 47 points at 20, 10, and 7. Yeah, not much movement in the Atlantic so far. It seems like those three teams have been one, two, three, pretty much a good bit of the year. Um, the Lightning have been in and out, but overall, it's been those three. Um, on the other half of the East, you have the Metropolitan. New York Rangers are still at the top, 54 points at 26, 10, and 2. Carolina Hurricanes are 22, 13, and 5, five points back of the Rangers. And then at 46 points, we have the Philadelphia Flyers at 20, 13, and 6. So, um, you know, not quite as good of a division as the Atlantic, but nonetheless, those three teams would all currently be playoff teams as of now. Next one here in the Western Conference Central Division. Uh, Jets here leading at 56 points. I believe that is the high across the uh, NHL right now at 26, 9, and 4. The Avalanche at 53 points in second place at 25, 12, and 3 with the Stars here at 22, 11, and 5, and 49 points. Yeah, Central's been really good so far, really consistent. Avalanche and Jets have kind of flip-flopped. I know the Stars were at the top early on in the year, but you know, you're third in your division. You still have 49 points. Uh, it's the highest third-place team across the league. Uh, moving on to the final division, though, Pacific Division in the Western Conference. We have Vancouver Canucks at 25-11-3, sitting at 53 points, uh, the fourth-best record in the league. Vegas Golden Knights normally up there. Uh, Currently at 23, 12, and 5, 51. And then the Los Angeles Kings at 20, 10, and 6, 46 points. So still, you know, about halfway through the year almost. You know, next week will probably be about halfway. Really congested at the top. You see all 12 teams we just mentioned are all between 56 and 46. So a lot can go down even in a two-week span. So stay tuned. Um, you know, if golf or golf, if hockey's your thing, I know – I'm more of a casual, but I still enjoy watching it. If there's not much on, or if it's just on in the background, I'll still enjoy watching it. But at the end of the day, golf's one of the more, or hockey is <laughs> one of the more golf. fun sports to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, obviously, there's no other sport that you can have fights break out and, you know, just go to the box for a couple minutes. It's I mean, great, man. I love you it. You have that in any other game and you're suspended or um, at least ejected. So, it's a lot of fun to watch. I think it brings a new dynamic to sports overall or a different dynamic to sports overall. Um, you know, more physical sport, obviously on ice, which is fun. I think um, it doesn't get the attention or like respect that I think it deserves just because of its schedule and it matches up exactly with NBA. And it's normally, you know, up until mid February, it's going on while football is going on. And then, Right when football ends, you have baseball. So it never really has its own season. Um, 
I think maybe if they did some rescheduling, it would help the market. But overall, still fun sport to watch. And I think still think it's going to come down to the wire in terms of who's going to get that President's Trophy. Um, moving on here though to the NBA. Um, I know we haven't had one, hadn't haven't had an episode in a month, but next week we are going to have a standings update on the East and the West. I know last time we had you know points, rebounds, blocks, assists, steals, field goal percentage, stuff like that um, in our stats update where Embiid was leading in points, Jokic in rebounds. Um, those numbers really haven't changed a whole lot. We are going to get to it in a couple weeks, but we will have a standings update next week. And then real quick, NCAA basketball. I know back when the season started in early November, we talked about covering this once conference play started. Like I said at the top of the episode, conference play has begun. Um, and really a loaded college basketball season with some teams in new conferences, specifically the Big 12. Um Houston Cougars, like we said, who are now a part of the Big 12, which is by far the best conference in college basketball, might I add. Um, they're the lone undefeated team. They're sitting at number two right now, as the top five consists of Purdue at one, Houston at two, Kansas at three, UConn at four, and Tennessee at five. So two top three teams in the Big 12. Um, we got a Big 10 team at the top, then UConn, and then an SEC team in Tennessee. Um I think these rankings are going to move a good bit. You know, obviously Purdue has a lot of star talent, but never can really produce in March Madness. Um, Houston's always a team that's up there. They just constantly churn out, you know, great backcourt guys, similar to Baylor. And then Kansas, obviously with Coach Self, has a lot of vets on that team, constantly gets, you know, five-star guys coming in. One of the Blue Bloods, um, UConn, Blue Blood in itself, coming off of a national championship in which they did lose a good bit of guys, but sitting at number four, uh, they returned valuable pieces and brought in a couple you know, solid players as well. So uh, they rounded out the top five, Tennessee, like I said, SEC. Um, they're always up there normally. I think they had a down year last year, um, but they have, they have some really good players on that team as well. Uh, good coaching. Rick Barnes has been really solid for them. Uh, I mean, the commonality with these five teams, really the top 10, is they all have veteran leadership. And I think that's more important in college basketball than really any other sport, just because at the end of the day, yes, coaching matters, but you're on the court, you're making plays, you're you know reading the defense and stuff like that. And I think the veteran leadership is huge in college basketball, where a lot of the times you see guys one and done. You see in baseball and football, guys have to be in college for three years if they decide to go that route. Whereas basketball, there's no rule. You can leave after one year. Um, and essentially you could play a few games and then go to the draft. So um, it's much different than all other sports. And that's why I think to have a true final four championship caliber team, it takes veteran leadership. It takes full buy-in culture buy-in and that's developed over time. You look at the blue bloods the culture's already there. It's already been set and, you know, young guys, old guys, they try to, come together and you know continue that culture continue the winning ways and it's a lot harder than than one may think and that's what makes co college basketball so fun i think is that the teams at the top where where you do have a few blue bloods that are consistently there but for the most part you see new teams in the final four every year like florida atlantic was a final four team last year san diego as, state right and Both those teams those teams i know san diego state was cold heading into the tournament Florida Atlantic, nobody expected to be there. Now they've been ranked this whole season. So it's just the culture 
that's been built there. You look at starts with coaching, and then once coaching kind of builds a culture and you get consistent winning seasons like we're starting to see from FAU, then you know it kind of gets turned over to the players a little bit. And how do they keep the culture going? And how do they help with recruiting and keeping you know guys there, especially with the days of the portal and NIL, which kind of ruined cultures to an extent. Um, how do you keep guys there, keep guys bought in, prevent them from you know turning? and leaving so big props to the you know to those teams at the top to those teams in the top 10 they do a lot to keep their culture and it's paying off this year and like i said what's going to be a really fun college basketball season as we just kicked off conference play but i'm really looking forward to it like i said big 12 is a lot of fun this year um it should be fun all the way all the way through march madness in early april for the national championship i don't if i had to make a prediction i'd probably put houston in it I don't know who else I'd put in it to face them, but Houston seems like a safe Final Four bet for now. Yeah. Obviously, early early in the year, um, but yeah, a lot a lot of ball left to be played. But there's a lot of teams looking good right now. It's going to be fun to see who com- who comes out on top in the end. Yeah, I think that's the beauty in it, right? You see a lot of teams. Um, I mean, like Houston and Kansas, um, always you're going to have, uh, you know, really high highly touted four and five star prospects, it's freshmen and sophomores on those teams, but also. Um, I think you see a lot of college basketball teams while well, they have those young stars. They've also got, um, you know, championships are won and lost with your with your junior with your upperclassmen, your juniors and seniors. The guy who guys who've been around the block a while and have played a lot of college basketball. Those guys um, always have a high impact on uh, on tournament games. And um, yeah, I think you, like you said, it's it's going to be really exciting to kind of see college basketball ramp up here in a couple of weeks. I'm not the biggest college basketball fan, um, but it's actually it's really fun to watch when. Um, conference play starts. There's always a lot of upsets, um, a lot of parity across the country. So um, very much so like any team can lose on any given night for the most part. Um, there's always, like I said, Houston's going to lose a road game. They shouldn't lose. Same with Kansas, same with Purdue, um, even UConn and Tennessee. So it's really, really fun to watch. Um, like I said, the parity is cool. The ability for teams to, to kind of win on any given night is cool as well. So um, it's really going to be fun to watch. I'll uh, get my ice bath here. Um, football related, Chargers related. Um, they're all pro center. Corey Lindsley unofficially retired today. I believe the quote was, I'm 99% uh, retiring, uh, 99% sure I'm retiring. Um, hats off to a phenomenal career for Corey. Um, guys, an all pro in Los Angeles, all pro in Green Bay. Um, cut short due to a heart, heart concerns. Um, hadn't played since week three, uh, with a heart condition. Um, ultimately, like, well, I think it sucks. Um, he's a joy to watch play football. Um, the guy's awesome, brought an awesome presence to that room and that team. Uh, that's the right decision for him, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm in full support of his, like I said, while it sucks, um, I'm in full support of his decision. It's the right thing to do. Uh, taking care of his health is what's best for him and his family. So, like I said, while it sucks for, for the Chargers and it sucks, you know, I think for me personally, just, it was a joy to watch play. Um, I think it's the right decision and ultimately one that um, was going to serve him better long term. So, um, yeah, he's he's uh, retired today. I know, obviously, not really the spin you want to have on it, but uh, it does give the Chargers some a little more cap flexibility. Gets them, I believe, to 30, I think 25 million under the cap. Um, if I have to look at it real quick, I mean, I have it pulled up, so I can uh, I can go ahead and look at it. Yeah, I believe it gets them from 35 to 20, 23 million dollars under the cap. So a little more flexibility there. Obviously, that was something that we really know didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, kind of going forward. So, um, like I said, hats off to Corey for an, an outstanding NFL career and um, wish him nothing but the best going forward. And 
Uh, sad to see him go, but again, it's the right decision. And I'm uh, I'm glad I'm glad he made the decision that he did, despite how much it might uh, might be painful to see him go. I think it's um, 100% the right decision. No doubt. Yeah, I think we were talking about this a while back. Um, you know, when it was kind of first diagnosed, and I think at the end of the day, um, you know, health kind of supersedes everything else especially in what's really physical game in professional football i think especially as an interior offensive lineman um you know where you're hitting dudes every play and the repeated force that really on your chest right where your heart is it's not an ideal position to be when you have a heart you know defect or some along those lines so it, it is really unfortunate. I know I really, really liked him because back when he was a free agent, we didn't have a center. That was before we drafted Linderbaum, and I really I really liked him as well. I, I remember, um, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, crazy NFL off seasons. Um, I remember this one was in the dorm. We were It was like freezing outside. And yeah. We got the we got the notification that he signed with the Chargers, and, and you were pumped, and uh, – that was like a five-year deal or something and yeah we were talking about it and it was definitely one of the i think it was one of the ones i remember more than others just obviously because it involved one of our teams but also it's just a really good player that and i think it was a good fit as well yeah. um now unfortunately the downfall from it is you now have a hole there that you have to figure out how you're going to fill and right. um you know getting another interior offensive lineman to you know build that chemistry not only with with other alignment but with herbert and stuff like that so um, definitely something to look at, but nonetheless, um, you know, if you can take a positive away is that he had a great career, he gets out without any further damage and, um, yeah. he's, he's proved all he's needed to prove. Obviously it would be nice to have a ring. Um, but he's had a great career, career being a center is not easy. Um, and the pros, I know we see a lot of good centers in this day and age. Um, you know, there's a bunch of really good ones playing, but I mean, being an offensive lineman at all is is really tough. And I think he did a great job. Um, you know, I was one of the better pros as well. I think, you know, I never really had any issues off the field. It was always a clean guy. Um, I was pretty good in the community from what I remember, at least as a Packer. So um, really looking forward to not only seeing, you know, how the charters, you know, kind of go down a different route to replace him or try to replace him. And then also, you know, how does he go about officially announcing this? How does he, um, you know, kind of let people know? I don't know how he's going to want to go about that. But nonetheless, an unfortunate scenario um, for him and for the team and everyone involved. I know it's a tough decision for him, for his family, but ultimately the right one. Um, Moving on to close out the episode, though, I know I touched on it, um, you know, with basketball and stuff but i'm just excited that college basketball is back baseball seasons you know five weeks away and we're going to head to uh, arlington to watch the season kickoff tournament between six really good teams i know tech's playing tennessee oregon and uh oh nebraska Nebraska. yep and and two of those teams went to the super regionals last year which is the sweet 16 of college baseball um i'm really looking forward to it College baseball, basketball, two really fun seasons that, you know, coincide timeline wise. And it's a lot of fun when, you know, you get to go to a uh, basketball game and then walk over to the, to the law and, uh, you know, check out a big baseball conference game. So uh, really looking forward to it. 
I know it's obviously not football season and football season rightfully stands alone and that no other sports run along with it, but it's different. It's different in a good way. I think looking forward to it, obviously basketball environments are normally electric. I'm sure once we get back to conference play and get rolling, um, you know, we'll see attendance go back up to what it was a couple of years ago. And then baseball is always up there. They sell out season tickets every year. Um, a great environment as well, given, you know, how smaller stadium is in comparison to some other teams with great environments. So I'm just really looking forward to it overall. College sports is awesome. I know I didn't really follow it much um, outside of college football before I actually got to college. But now that I'm there, um, I have a deeper understanding of, you know, deeper respect for it. And I just really enjoy it. One of my favorite things uh, going to sporting events. So looking forward to it. Um, heading back tomorrow, getting to the game tomorrow night kind of kick off the semester the right way and uh yeah hope hopefully uh hoping the basketball and baseball teams uh exceed expectations man i, I could not be i i texted you the other day like, i could not be more excited to go to dallas and uh watch those games um, i'm pumped man those gonna be really exciting really fun um baseball season's a treat man i love it uh, i know both of us i think prefer for prefer, prefer baseball to basketball um that said, Texas Tech basketball games is our environment like none other. Um, certainly something I'm going to cherish in this last semester for the both of us. And um, like I said, man, exciting that it's back. Ready for baseball to be back. It'll be here soon. It's, it's January 8th, and um, today as we're recording, it's going to be late Feb before you know it. So I'm, I'm super pumped. I know I know we're both really excited to get down there and go and um, do that trip. So uh, certainly going to be an awesome time, really good time to be a Red Raider right now, and hopefully that continues uh, – through college basketball and college baseball season. Yeah, no doubt. Um, like I said, hopefully uh, we get some good quality play um, from, you know, all tech teams, but more specifically those two. Um, but yeah, looking forward to just everything to do with sports. I mean, we got football playoffs here that we'll cover on Thursday with a, uh, I believe 21st edition of Thursday turf talk. On that one, we're we're just gonna re or preview the six wild card weekend games that we have starting Saturday uh, afternoon, and then we're also gonna recap the college football season. Obviously, that has concluded. Um, we're looking forward to diving into that kind of what went wrong for some teams, what went well, and teams that exceeded and didn't meet expectations, and then we're also gonna preview. Uh, we're gonna make predictions for NFL awards. We're just gonna, you know, the main ones, MVP. Uh, probably can't predict Walter Payton, but because um, that's kind of like random. But we'll preview uh, MVP, offensive and defensive players of the year, uh, maybe assistant coach of the year, coach of the year, comeback player of the year. Probably those six. And then we're gonna talk about the coaching carousel. By the time we record on Thursday, we should have an idea, um, at least all but one probably of which coaching openings we will have for the NFL. We already have five. Um, we could have one or two more here in the next day or so, but we'll wait to see till Thursday in terms of what's actually official. Um, but yeah, that should be a loaded episode. Make sure to tune into that one. Appreciate y'all tuning in today to episode 65 here on the Cold Seat Podcast. Um, can't wait to see y'all Thursday. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and X at Cold Seat Podcast. Stay up to date. I know we'll be a little, little more active on those as we get into the NFL playoffs, um, you know, college basketball, conference play, NBA is getting in the, you know, they're almost to all-star break, but big point in the season for them, you know, getting near the trade deadline. So a lot to um, recap and kind of unpack and talk about here on the Cold Seat Podcast. So thanks for tuning in. 
Uh, We should see y'all Thursday, and then we'll see y'all next Tuesday again for episode 66. Yeah, we'll see you guys then.